friends, and welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. This is a podcast of stories, stories of devastating loss and grief and heartbreak and struggle, and stories of hope and healing and faith and, yes, even joy. Underlying every conversation is the hope we have in Jesus Christ, which makes it possible to not just survive the loss of a child, but to live well while we're waiting to see them again in heaven one day. You can learn more about our ministry and the free bereaved parent retreats we host by visiting our website at www.whilewe'rewaiting.org. Welcome to episode number 152. I'm excited today to introduce you to my friend, Linda Brown. She is a woman who has dealt with some very difficult circumstances in her life, beginning with sexual abuse as a child, a series of failed marriages, and the loss of her adult daughter Jessica two years ago. But hers is also a story of redemption, as you'll hear how Jesus released her from the dungeon in which she found herself. I believe you'll be encouraged by what she has to share. Hi, Linda. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jill. It's such an honor to be here. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, I have been looking forward to our chat. I do want to get started by giving you the opportunity to just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you're from and what life is like for you there. I am in the middle of nowhere near Ashgrove, Missouri, which is about 30 miles away from Springfield, Missouri. Mm -hmm. At the moment, our household consists of my 79-year-old husband, 63-year-old me, and my 13-year-old granddaughter. Life is not dull in our household. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, My husband and I are both retired. He's been retired for um, quite a few years, uh, but it's a pretty new thing for me, mostly because of just our life circumstances right now. This is what's necessary for me right now. My husband's joy is farming, and uh, we might hear a tractor drive by in a minute, Did I hear it? (laughs) Oh, and if we do, that's okay. Um, But it's his joy to farm and to be outside. And we don't personally have a cattle operation, but our son-in-law does. And he has property rented near us. And my husband takes care of the cattle, checks the cattle every day. And he keeps our place. We've only got like seven acres, but he keeps it looking like a park. It's like his job to keep it mowed and taken care of. it's, it's, It's delightful. It's a blessing to be here. And he and I have been married for 23 years. I was 40 and he was 56. And so we came with three children, but three of them were, you know, either in college or had families of their own. My oldest, Michael, is about to be 44. He has two grown boys and he's a local news anchor. So that's kind of fun for all of us. Uh, He's also been one of my anchors for the last five years. Uh, And I also had twins, Jeremy and Jessica. Uh, Jeremy's about to be 39, and he's in the military, been in for, I think, 16 years now. He has two beautiful children I don't get to see often enough. And Jessica ran on ahead two years ago on May 17th. Uh, she has three children, one of whom is an adult, one who lives with his dad about 45 minutes away, and the one who lives with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, my job at the moment is caring for Paul, who had major surgery three months ago, and a 13-year-old granddaughter who has some, uh, I'll say, issues Mm -hmm. and trauma uh, that she is working through. Uh, Some of my joys and hobbies are just enjoying the outdoors, just being in it. Mm. Uh, Green grass, trees, flowers, 
singing birds and sunrises, just the tranquility of it all. It just brings joy to my heart. And I love to write devotionals because I love the word and it has brought me life. And I want to share that with others and to let them know that God has purpose for their life, a plan better than anything they can imagine and hope. Amen. Um, For 13 years, I've been very involved with a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, which is a biblically-based 12-step program, which ministers to anybody with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, which I'm pretty sure is all of us. Yeah, that's right. Drugs and alcohol never really had a chokehold on me, uh, but several other dysfunctional mindsets did. Uh, At the Celebrate Recovery I attend in Ridgecrest, at Ridgecrest Baptist in Springfield, Missouri, they've allowed me to be on the leadership team. I get to teach groups sometimes and facilitate small groups. I currently lead a small group for those in the grieving process at Celebrate Recovery. And I'm also blessed to be able to facilitate a bereaved mom support group at my home through while we're waiting. It's a joy. And it gets kind of muddy. I, I feel like I need to talk about my past some in order to talk yes. about my present. Yes, I would love for you to do that. So my childhood had lots of trees and green grass, books about other places, and I would pretend I was the hero of this story. In most respects, it was a pretty normal childhood, but there was this one pocket nobody could see into. There were multiple instances of sexual abuse by a relative, and it was never brutal. So I rationalized, as kids tend to do, that it wasn't a big deal. Mm. And honestly, I never even considered it to be abuse until I was 50 years old. And that's when I started going to celebrate recovery and discovered some of the dysfunctional mindsets that led to some pretty poor relationship choices, namely three failed marriages. And I'll be honest, for much of my children's childhoods, I was in survival mode, either in one of those dysfunctional marriages or a single mom. Raising twins was quite an interesting experience. In most ways, because they were fraternal twins, they were no more alike than any other siblings. But they did have their moments of that twinning thing. Sure. <laughs> like uh-huh. maybe one of them would get hurt and the other one would cry. So just kind oh, of wow. peculiar things like that sometimes. Their personalities were very different. Jeremy was usually laid back, kind of the fun one, uh, but very determined. He had to work hard to make good grades, for instance, Um, but playing football was very important to him. So he did the work he needed to do. Things like that seemed to come easier for Jessica. She was definitely the dominant personality in our household. If she was in the room, everybody knew it. She was fun, kind of boisterous sometimes. And as an adult, she was a hard worker. She was a CNA at several residential facilities, and she loved it. She loved her job. She loved her residents, and they loved her. She was very loving and compassionate. And at her funeral, a lot of the people who came were the families of her residents because they'd come to know and appreciate her care for their loved ones. And after the accident, one of her uh, co-workers got permission to paint some beautiful life-size angel wings. I say life-size. I don't know how big angel wings right. are. Yeah. You know. uh-huh. But um, they painted these uh, beautiful white angel wings on one of the old brick buildings in Ash Grove. And it was a tribute, and it says so, oh, a tribute nice. to small-town heroes. And it has her name on it. And every time I drive past that, which is frequently, it's a very poignant reminder of how much love she was capable of giving. She was a straight-A student in elementary school, uh, a very easy child to raise as far as doing things I asked her to do, not being argumentative, 
until she turned 13. It was, it was a bit like her whole personality changed. Mm. She shut me out. She shut her family out and her whole world revolved around her friends. And as she got older, she got more disrespectful and started doing things like crawling out the bedroom window at night to hang out with friends, started tinkering with drugs and boys and running away. And the next four years were very stressful with the police bringing her home, me trying to keep her in school, which she was failing because she kept cutting classes. And then two weeks before she turned 17, she ran away from home again. And she and I had both been told that when a child turns 17, the police don't bring them home anymore. And so uh, two weeks away from 17, she ran away from home and I did not call the police that time because I was just exhausted. It had been four years of drama. Yeah. Uh, and so my version of tough love was not signing drop papers at school. Uh, and it may seem silly, uh, but because it didn't change anything, but it was my statement that this is not okay. Dropping out right. of school is not okay. My version of tough love was not giving her money after she left our home, as I felt like that would have been enabling her to make her choices. The only reason she left was because there were consequences for her bad behavior. She didn't like those. She could yeah. have chosen to come home at any time. We would have welcomed her home. She got pregnant with her first child when she was 17. So that began a 19-year journey of poverty, men, babies, men, alcohol, men. It's hard to watch. It's very hard as a parent to watch. She did better when she was on her own, but she was so caught up in getting her sense of worth from bad boys. Mm. It, it was just 19 years worth of heartbreak. And strangely, once she left our home, we had a very good relationship. She called uh, all the time to let me know how she was doing, which I appreciated. Yeah, uh, she knew she knew that I didn't condone any of those choices that she was making. And when I tried to remind her that Jesus loved her so much and was waiting for her to turn to Him, she'd say, "I know." Mm -hmm. She would even ask me for advice, and then proceed to do the exact opposite. She was making her own statement about life. Uh, two years. After my third marriage disintegrated, I discovered that she'd been sexually molested, which no doubt played a role in her misconceptions and misperceptions of life, just like it did me. That made it all the more heartbreaking. Uh, and I personally have learned to not beat myself up over my past choices, but I do have to take responsibility for them. Jessica made her own path through this world. She loved her children desperately, and she showed it however she could. And she was a fabulously fun mom most of the time. What a wonderful description of Jessica and your relationship. I've heard a little bit of your story and I'm just fascinated listening to it again. So Jessica had a lot of struggles in her life, but I love the fact that the two of you stayed in touch, that she still looked to you. It was obvious she loved you very much and she looked to you for advice and counsel, whether or not she followed it. You were the person that she turned to. But I'd love for you to talk about what happened in May of 2021. Well, I was at work in Springfield, uh, which is about 45 minutes from where I live. And I had just finished teaching a class. And I saw that I'd missed a call from Devin, my oldest grandson. He had just graduated high school the week before. And he never called me. He's quite independent. Sure. And uh, so the fact that he called me told me that, that something's up. So I, I called him right back. And he said, Grandma there's a guy here that you need to talk to. And he handed him his phone and it was an officer from the highway patrol. 
who said, ma'am, I have to tell you that Jessica Landis was killed in a car crash this morning. And I said, what? I heard him. I just had to process that. Yeah. Unbelievable thought. And my brain did this weird thing I cannot even describe. And I walked to my supervisor's office and I said, I have to go. My daughter's been killed in a car wreck. Wow. And I turned around and I walked back to my office, kind of like a robot. And he followed me saying, wait, what, what, what did you say? But I just kept walking to my office, uh, got my purse and I walked out to my car. And at that point, this is what started running through my head. Jesus, help me. 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 Because I knew I didn't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, um, the Lord gave me the clarity of thought to immediately call my husband and tell him and ask him to run over to Jessica's house, which is very near us because Devin was there alone and had been the first to hear the dreadful news about his mother. Uh, and then I called Jessica's dad, one of my ex-husbands, and her two brothers. I wanted them to know before the news hit Facebook. Yes. And I'm glad I did um, because by the time I got home, it was on Facebook. And after the phone calls, I spent that long drive in the rain with the help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus, refrain running through my head. And Michael and his boys and close friends and neighbors showed up pretty soon after I got home. Um, my son Jeremy stationed in Virginia, so it took a few days for him and his family to get here. And parts of the next three days or were, there's several things I remember very clearly. One friend, Shelly, was one of the first to show up. And she unloaded bags and bags of lunch stuff, gallons of tea, disposable plates, cups of plasticware. She was there for two days, maybe wow. maybe more. Uh, I forget. But she was just in the background, just unobtrusively asking visitors if there was anything she could get them. And she was just, just this very helpful presence. And another friend, Jasmine, came over. And she just mostly sat and visited and just listened. And she was just very, just a very gentle presence. And another neighbor, another Shelly, came over and brought some games, cornhole toss and such things for the grandkids to play with. Uh, there were just so many, so many people and um, so much food. And at the time, I was attending a church about 35 miles, minutes away. And every day, for a week, a different member of that church delivered food. Wow. And it all mattered. Every sandwich, every prayer, every hug, every text, every Facebook message, every card, every flower, every contribution, every sweet presence, it all mattered. Yes. Yes. It really does matter. Yeah. I love that somebody brought games for the grandchildren. What a practical idea that was. So your life had just completely turned upside down at that point. It's always hard for me to imagine that, you know, our daughter died from cancer. So, you know, we had time to prepare. We, we kind of knew it was coming unless God intervened with a miracle, which we, of course, prayed that he would do right up until the end. It's so hard for me to imagine being at work, a normal day, everything's fine, and you get a phone call that changes everything. I love that your first response was, help me, Jesus. Did you feel him? carrying you in that moment? I did. I did. Yeah. Very much so. Because I, I, I had my faith as a solid foundation for, at that time, 26 years. And yeah. uh, there's nowhere else to turn. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah. Would you mind sharing with our listeners? You talked a little bit about your childhood and I know that you did not grow up in a Christian home at all. So how did you come to faith in Jesus? I'll go, I'll go way back to 1967 when I was seven years old and, uh, a family member introduced me to some other kinds of games that should never have taken place. Yes. And they took place for four years. It, it was never brutal. And so as children, I think when things like that happen, sometimes we rationalize it however we can. And that's how I rationalize it. It was not brutal. Can't change it. If I got older, can't change it. Right. It was, it was what it was. And I went about living my life as if it did not affect my life. When in reality, as I discovered as an adult, it affected every relationship choice I ever made. And I made sure. lots of them. <laughs> lots of them. Uh, three failed marriages that um, I dragged all my children through. That uh, was pretty significant. Uh, and just, yes, I was not I was not churched growing up. My parents weren't terrible people. They just weren't churched themselves. Yeah. But when um, I was at the tail end of my third horrible marriage, I didn't even know how horrible it was until after we left. But my oldest son was about 15 at the time. And he'd been saved for years. Other people always brought him to church. Uh, just wow. church wasn't on my radar screen. I didn't care if somebody else took him. And so he had he had been in church to, for since he was about eight. And uh, he kept bugging me to go to church. And uh, finally, to humor him, I went. And I couldn't even tell you what the pastor said that day, but I do know that when he gave the altar call at the end, I was compelled to go forward. Wow! I was compelled to go forward in. I don't know that I put all the theological pieces together that day, but I know that I my way wasn't working. I was in this horrible quagmire of dysfunction, and I didn't know how to get out, and I was stuck. And so I just literally said, "Here, God." Yeah. Here, God. I, it was just a choice. I took very seriously. Okay, okay, God. I you know I've heard people talk about you, and if you can do something, I'm I'm giving it to you. <laughs> I'm giving yeah. it to you because I've I made a train wreck of my life. I'm making a train wreck of my children's lives. And, um, uh, but I was serious and never looked back. It was very radical for me. And, and the Lord, it was like, it was like this. It was like, I'd been in a dungeon and somebody slung open the doors and let in the sunlight. Hmm. That's what it was like. And why would I want to go back (laughs) to the dungeon? I didn't, I didn't, I could not, I could not go back to that. There was nothing there for me or for my children. So to my way of thinking, God was the only way. And he has proven himself again and again that he is the only way. And so that was um, my basic salvation experience. Yeah. Well, I love that. I was just curious about that, knowing knowing a little bit about your past and all of that. I just wondered how you came to know the Lord. And it's always encouraging to hear a testimony like that, just to, to see, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I've, I have been in church since I was an infant. And so, you know, while I am saved, there was never a radical change in my life. I've never felt like I was in the dungeon and the doors flew open wide and the sunshine came in. And so I love to hear stories like that so that, you know, people who may be listening that are in that dungeon can realize that that can happen for them, too. So I appreciate you sharing that. So you are about to begin the third year of your grief journey as we're chatting today. Uh, just kind of on the cusp of that coming up this month. You know, a lot of people that uh, we talk to feel like the second year of grief is actually harder than the first. Has that been your experience or can you talk about how your grief has evolved over time? It has very much been my experience. Okay. For a lot of reasons. 
there were so many things that came to light, especially the first year, none of it good. Yes. <laughs> a, lot right. of, a lot of bad things, a lot of bad things happened. There was a lot of legal things to deal with. And there was, uh, I filed for guardianship of another family member, blocked the guardianship and it was just drama with that. And it was so many things, so many things to deal with, so many things to think about. And it was all overwhelming. And I, I didn't realize it at the time. Uh, it wasn't until somebody had told me about while we're waiting I, I was on the Facebook group mm-hmm. um, for parents and, uh, and then something made me Google while we're waiting. And, and so I learned about the, uh, the, the refuge. Yes. And so uh-huh. I, I registered for that. And, um, and I, I'd love to tell you about that experience if I might. Yeah, and, absolutely. <laughs> um, so it, hot springs is five hours away from where we live. It's kind of a stressful drive because it's very curvy and hilly. Uh, but I, but I got there and the minute the facilitator opened the door, I literally felt the welcome. I felt the Holy Spirit from the minute I crossed over the threshold into that foyer. And it was a beautiful thing. And I mean, the entire weekend, you know, the grounds, you know, everything about it was beautiful. The facilitators and just everything, the way everything happened was beautiful. And uh, it was peaceful. And it was restful and something was shifting in my spirit. Yeah. And I didn't understand it at the time. or even, I don't know if I even recognized it while I was there. But during that five-hour drive home, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm uh-huh. able to process. I'm able to process things. And I was feeling things. And partly because of that playlist y'all play uh-huh. <laughs> in the background. I asked somebody, what is that music? And, and I looked it up later and I listened to it. I've probably listened to it almost every day since then. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was feeling, and I don't know that it felt good, but it did feel good to feel because yes. I didn't realize I hadn't been feeling for the previous 16 months. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't want to go back to that. I heard somebody say one time, only a Pharisee can relate to another another Pharisee, and that reminds me of this. I don't want I don't want to be a robot. I don't want to just be going through the motions. I want to be real. I want to be vulnerable because that's what people are gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna be able to you know resonate with people, and yes. and maybe they can see the hope that I feel. They're not gonna see that if I'm a robot. Right. Right. Did I answer the question yet? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Oh, the second year. It was about the second year. So, yes, I, I would say the second year has been harder for me because this year I'm feeling. Yes. I'm feeling, it's, like, it's like all the first that I thought were bad the first year. No, I didn't really feel those. I'm feeling them this year. Yes. And in, in May is, is the month for me, the bad month for me, because Mother's Day uh, is quite gut-wrenching. And, yes. you know, I, you know I, I have two other children whom I, whom I love very much, but it's, it's hard. It's hard yes. because one of, the, one of the, one of the people that made me a mother is not here, and she always made Mother's Day a big a big deal. Yeah, she always made Mother's Day a big deal. So I now I still come across things that she gave me, little cute things, you know, things that she probably couldn't have even afforded that she would get me, and I come across those now, and it's like, oh. So there's Mother's Day, and this year, uh, three days later, is the anniversary of right. Jessica's death. So, yeah. so that's just hard. Yeah, that's a hard stretch of dates for sure. Yeah, very often people do the second year is harder. And and I think it's just because of what you said. We're kind of numb 
maybe for that first year and then the second year comes around and some of those things can hit a little bit harder in the second year. This concludes the first half of my conversation with Linda Brown. I hope you'll come back next week as we extend our conversation to discuss a wide variety of issues faced by bereaved parents, including finding our purpose after loss. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to sharing the rest of our chat with you next Wednesday.